Okay, we're back in the saddle. I'm glad to be back. At least I am. I hope you are. Yeah. 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 So we're going to start a new series tonight, and uh, we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel. We can't possibly in 10 weeks, this will be a 10-week series, can't possibly in 10 weeks do the whole book of Ezekiel. So we will highlight it and go through and take out some of the interesting and exciting parts. And that we can easily find 10 weeks in that. We could probably do this for a long time, but we're going to make it a 10-week study, which is long for us. Tuesday night studies usually aren't quite that long till we get to this time of year. So it's time to sharpen up your knives and here we go. Let's get into the big stuff. Uh, this is not a normal book. This is one of the most abnormal books in the Bible. That's why you don't hear much about it because it is so unique and so different. And as you see right away, we'll get right into it up to our eyeballs and find out what's going on. Uh, if we give you a time frame so that you can think about it, uh, Jerusalem fell uh, and Israel was taken captive by Babylon. And during that time, there's three prophets who step into prominence. Uh, first one we mentioned is Jeremiah. Uh, you know there's a book, Jeremiah. Uh, he stayed home in Jerusalem. No matter how bad it got, God wanted one of his prophets to be in Jerusalem, and it got pretty bad. Uh, then we had the prophet Daniel, and he went to Babylon, but he was on the high society side. <laughs> he was prime minister uh, to the king of Babylon. He became uh, a major force in politics. God's man, God put him in a place where he would become that. Then we got the third one, Ezekiel. He also goes off to Babylon, and, uh, but he's among the poor folks, among the plain people who didn't do so well in Babylon. And so we have a person back home in Jerusalem trying to get people to come to God. You got a person up in the highest places of Babylon and, and uh, Persian society, Daniel. And then you got this guy, Ezekiel. We don't know much about him as far as his past or anything, uh, but we're about to learn as much almost as we're going to learn as we just open the book. Now this is a book that's so unusual that a lot of people got crazy ideas about it. Okay, there's some wild books, and I got a couple of them. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you what's in those books, it's just other little comments because they're crazy. But this kind of Bible study touches on things that we're not used to thinking about. And this guy was so different that you just said, he's weird. That's what you would have said. You would be wrong, of course. He's not weird because God's telling him what to do. And he just does what God says. The only thing, God told him some very different things to do. And so you'll see some unusual things happen with this fella. And then he will look into our future and tell us about our future too. So there's a lot to learn in Ezekiel. I can't remember the last time I did it. Anybody remember? It's probably in the archives somewhere because over 30 years there's nothing I haven't said that I haven't said before. All right? well, 30 years here and then another 10 or 12 before that. So I've been studying and teaching the Bible for a long time. But here we go into the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to read a little bit and talk a little bit and then we're going to give you uh, a real show 
uh, and uh, get ready. Here we go. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. It came to pass in the 13th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar, that the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. So it's a remarkable statement. I saw God. I saw God. There's about five people in the history of the world that can say that. Daniel was one. Ezekiel was one. Uh, uh, John the Revelator was one. Uh, Isaiah was one. They all, those guys, and another guy you never heard of called Micaiah. These guys got to peek up into heaven, see what was going on up there. And so... Usually, if somebody came up to me today and said, I saw visions of God, I'd go, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, but not these guys, because remember who they are. They are the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and he used that nation to communicate to the world. And so ever since the beginning, he was choosing out, here's one of this particular tribe, family, started out to be just a family, became a tribe, turned into a nation. He chose people out of those that nation to talk to so that they would record what God wanted to say for us. So they had that unique place in history where God was choosing Jewish people to talk to and then have them tell us, record it, so that we put together a Bible written by people who were Jewish almost exclusively, with a couple of exceptions. So here's this guy. He's a captive uh, by the river Kibar. And it's an interesting thing. He gives you the exact day and the exact place. This is when it happened on this day. This is where it happened in this place and when I saw God. So this is not like some guy who dreamed a little and then wakes up and a couple days later dreams a little more. Nothing like that at all. He says, this day at 5 o'clock, bang, there was God. I saw God. So it's a very striking comment. When we get through, before we start and when we're done, we're going to say the same thing. We are absolutely convinced that God is real. We are absolutely convinced that God is real, and we'll see it as we go on here. But we should be also convinced that you don't understand much about God. <laughs> you say, well, I'm an expert on God. Oh, you are. Well, that's good. Uh, Nobody's an expert on God. If a person, a being, can create a world, he's a whole lot smarter than you and I. <laughs> he's definitely superior. And then if he can make a sun, wow. That's an amazing creation, I think, burning up in our sky. And then he said, ah, let's make 100 million of them. That was done to make sure you didn't forget who he was. And so we're about to look at things about God. He says, I saw God. And he's going to say things you never heard of before. But it's a very precise, exact thing that he says here on this day. And he gives us a time frame. And he even goes on a little more. Verse 2. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. Now we're going to look back just for a minute to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 24, look back towards the front, you'll come to 1st and 2 Kings chapter 24, 2 Kings we want chapter 24, he mentions King Jehoiakim, we're going to just look at him just for a second. It's because we have to understand what's unfolding at this moment as he's explaining what's going on. Chapter 24, 2 Kings, verse 8. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he began to reign. He reigned in Jerusalem three months. 
His mother's name was Neshuta, the daughter of El Nithan of Jerusalem. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father has done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar the king came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon. He and his mother, servants and princes and officers, the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. And he carried thence all the treasures of the house of the Lord, treasure of the king's house, cut in pieces all the vessels of gold, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem. All the princes, all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths, none remain, save the poorest sort of people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiakim to Babylon. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is an extremely powerful king. And he has the best government ever in the history of the world. Who said that? God did. God said he's the best government official that there ever was. And God called Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom a golden kingdom. Because he was so much smarter than we are. <laughs> he, he shines in history. And what you just saw happen is he came to Jerusalem. And he said, okay, folks, we're going to besiege your city. And they said... Well, maybe we can work something out. He says, yeah, sure. Give me your best craftsmen. Give me your best carpenters. Give me your best minds. Give me your brightest people. I'm taking all those people with me. And the working Joe Schmoes that don't know much can stay here. I'm taking all the cream of the crop. And so he took the cream of the crop with him. Ezekiel is one of those. All right. So Ezekiel's not just the old bump in the log. He was an intelligent fella. But uh, the four most famous ones he took were just young boys. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. He takes these four teenage boys, barely teenagers, with him. He says, there's some nice, bright young boys. You're coming with me, boys. And he took them back and trained them before, for three years before he even looked at them. And then they got to go and he said, let's see if you made the grade in three years. Well, they did. They did well. Not everybody did. But he took the cream of the crop. They became his government. So anybody that looks for the best people there are and trains them to be in their government is rare, aren't they? <laughs> we got anybody like that today? I don't think so. We're not looking for the brightest and the best. We're looking for, I don't even know anymore what we're looking for. But that's what they did. And God said he really knows how to run the government. And so he takes Jehoiakim, this boy king, he starts ruling at 18, he's like 26, and, and Nebuchadnezzar takes him away. Nebuchadnezzar would come to Jerusalem four times. First time, taking the cream of the crop. Next time, take a few more. Next time, there's not much left. The last time he comes, he turned that place into rubble. He absolutely ruined the entire city of Jerusalem until there was nothing but burned timbers and ashes and rocks. Nothing standing after he finished. So he would come four times and besiege the city of Jerusalem four times. Now, we're in the beginning of that siege. Now, as Ezekiel is taken with the first group of captives and he's in Babylon and uh, this young uh, king Jehoiakim is the one that he mentions so that we'll know exactly where he comes from. He's in the fifth month of the fifth year of King Jeho Jehoiakim's captivity. So Jehoiakim went there at about 26 and so he's 31 years old. They got it right down to the day when it happened because it's a very definite thing. Verse 3, back in Ezekiel. 
The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. He could feel God coming to him. He was a priest. That is, he was from the tribe of Levi, and his father had been a priest in the temple. And we assume that Ezekiel was one of the ones who stayed faithful, although almost none did. And we'll see that happen as he explains it. But he was one of the ones that remained faithful. And so God said, I'm going to show you something here. Take a look. I'm going to show you God. Now, what we are about to read is so strange and so unusual that people don't know what to make of it. They don't know what to make of it. And so what we're going to do is first go through and try to just look at what he saw. And then we're going to go back and try to think of what that means. And see if we can make any sense of this very unusual uh, vision that he has. Verse 4, I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and fire enfolding itself, and brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Now, I'm going to try, and you can get your laughs because I am not an artist. One of the things God didn't make me was an artist. I don't know anything about artwork. All right, and I'm going to try to explain as we go along. You'll just have to get your chuckles at what I do on the board. All right, this was a whirlwind coming up. The only thing is enfolding itself like a whirlwind does, and it's fire. But you always want to watch with Ezekiel the colors because he mentions the colors a lot, and he says the color inside was amber. And so it's not like fire that you're used to seeing. Most of your fires aren't really amber, maybe just a little bit. Uh, but uh, his, this fire is amber-colored, and it comes in the form of a whirlwind, and it's not like a cloud. As you say, well, it's like a cloud. Well, yeah, but it's not, because clouds do what? Hide the sun, make it dark, right? Not this one. This cloud made it lighter and lighter. It's, it is a source of light that clouds normally are not. They usually reflect light, but they are not a source of light. So here's something that we've just seen. And now I'm going to uh, start verse 5. Out of the midst thereof came the likeness. I'm going to stop there. The word likeness appears over and over and over as we go through uh, this. Likeness and appearance occur 12 times in the next few verses because he's trying to explain to us what he's seeing and he never seen anything like it. So how are you to explain something that nobody's ever seen before? Well, you got to kind of say, well, it's kind of like this, or it's like that. It appears to be this. It appears to be that. And so what he is about to witness, starting with this fiery whirlwind, is what nobody's ever seen before. So he has the limitation of language as he tries to explain and when you get really seriously into God, you always find there's a limitation of language. Language can't explain God. They can't really do it. We do the best we can with what we have, but uh, language will always fail when we're talking about God. So, let's go now. Verse 5. Out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And so they appeared to be human or that they were like humans. They were, certainly weren't humans, but if you had to describe their first look at them, he said, well, they are shaped like a man, or shaped like a human. All right, now we're about to change that drastically. Verse 6, everyone had four faces and everyone had four wings. You don't know any men with four faces, do you? <laughs> I've known a few two-faced people, right? 
these are four faces. And so he's got four faces and they got four wings and I never met a man with wings either. And so when he says he's like a man, well, he is, but he's not. <laughs> not like a man at all. Whoever these people are, these creatures are, and he calls them creatures because they're not human, that's clear. What are they? Verse 7, their feet were straight feet. The sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And so they have what I would say straight not like yours and mine. Yours and mine bend and they got all sorts of uh, little joints and our feet bend all over the place. Calves feet do not. I spent a lot of time with calves in my life. And uh, I remember we had uh, some calves born that kind of fooled us. We weren't expecting them. And so we went over to check some cattle and there was two calves were born, we didn't know it. So Uncle Ed said, we gotta catch these calves. Well, one was about a day old, and we finally ran that one down. The other one was a week and a half old. <laughs> we couldn't catch it. This thing went zoom, zoom, zoom. It was unbelievable. And finally, he said, we'll make a big circle. Of course, he didn't run right through. And I said, I don't think we can do it. He said, We're, we got to do it, so get ready. So we did it again. We tried and tried and tried. That thing was so fast. We said, we're not going to be able to catch it. Finally, my brother, who was young and swift, tackled it. He went running by, and he took a flying leap through the air, and he got it, and he got kicked really good. But he caught it, and my uncle Ed said, yeah, boy, he got it. <laughs> That was his way of pushing us. In other words, defeat on these things were made for running. Now, you and I, we say if a human could run a four-minute mile, he's doing good. <laughs> Take a deer or a calf with a straight leg. Yeah, zoom, they're gone. I was driving home the other night, and there's two little fawns in the road, not for long. One another two miles, two more little fawns in the road. You don't have to hit the brakes because they're going to zoom. And so these creatures have feet like a calf straight to the end. And you say, well, so they got a hoof. No, it says they sparkle like the color of burnished brass. So it's a straight foot. And the closest way you can describe it is it's like a calf's foot, but it's like solid brass. It shines. It's shining. So it's not like a calf's foot, is it? So we run into the limitation of language. How do you describe something that's like a human but got four faces and wings? How do you describe his leg when he's got a straight leg? You say, well, it's like a calf's leg, but it's not. It's like polished brass. So we're beginning to see these creatures, just beginning to see them now as we get a few explanations. Verse 8, and they had the hands of a man under their wings on their foreside, and the forehead, their faces, and their wings. And so we've got a man's hand. Man's hand. He looks human-like in his basic form, but he's got four faces. We'll get more into that. He's got four wings, straight legs, but underneath the wings there are hands, and they look like human hands. Verse 9, their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not when they went, and every one went straight forward. Now, we'll see if we can give you another beautiful artwork here. Uh, they got wings, all right? And then there's one here, and his wing touches that wing. Right, and there's another one here, and their wings touch. Right, so they're flying, moving, and their wings reach out and touch each other. And that 
doesn't surprise us because if we have paid attention in our Bible study, we remember that when Moses and Aaron made the Ark of the Covenant, you know, if you remember that from our Bible study, if not, you remember it from Indiana Jones. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was two golden angels bowing down with their wings like that and their wings touched. So there's two angels facing each other, facing each other with their wings spread out, and they made it so those wings touched because that's what happens with these creatures. They're almost, you'd say, connected. They're not, but they're almost connected. Now we'll get back to this as we go along. Here we go, verse 10. Ready for this one? As for the likeness of their faces, they forehead the face of a man, face of a lion on the right side, the forehead the face of an ox on the left, forehead also the face of an eagle. So uh, in the front is the face of a man, in the back the face of an eagle, on the right is the face of an eye. A lion, and on the left side, you got the face of an ox. So, what does he look like? I don't know what to say about him. He's pretty unusual liking. I uh, never saw anybody with four faces, right? And so, these creatures, he says, have four different faces. Now, verse 11 Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. Now, it said they had four wings, and so there's two wings used for movement and flying, and they reach out and touch the others. But then there's two wings used to cover their body, like clothes. Are they feathers? I don't think so. I don't think they're feathers. I say, well, every wing we know is a feather. Well, not quite. You've seen a bat. Maybe not up close, but if you did, you know that's not feathers on there. <laughs> that's skin, all right? So I don't know exactly what these wings are made of. It doesn't tell us. It just said that the best way to describe these things are wings, and they can move with them, and they can also cover themselves with the other ones. All right, uh, here we go. You all got it all figured out now? Here we go, verse 12. They went everyone straight forward. Whether the spirit was to go, they went. And they turned not when they went. And so they go in a straight line. And they don't go like that. They go straight. They move straight. Always, he said, they move straight. And he said, there's a spirit that drives they are driven by spirit. That's important. Okay. Now, verse 13. For the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of lamps. Went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Um, King James is a little cloudy here. But what it appears is that uh, in between here, there are what he calls, well, maybe lamps, uh, light. There's real bright light in between them. And this light flashes. And so he says it kind of looks like lightning, and it flashes, and it moves, and they kind of disappear among the light. And so as these four creatures are moving, there's a constant light flowing, moving. It's a moving light. It's always moving. It appears like lightning and like lamps, everything he's trying to describe best of his ability. And so he says the fire comes out and flashes and you lose sight because of the lightning and then they appear to be there again. All right, there we go. Now, 
Let's go on. You got, you got that? Can you, can you picture it now? Coming out of a cloud. Four creatures attached together, moving swiftly and really unusual. Verse 15. I beheld the living creatures. Behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with its four faces. And the appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a burl, or that is clear. And the four had one likeness. Their appearance and their work was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And so, there's a wheel now. There's a great big wheel. Biden. But he says it's a wheel in a wheel. And so there's another one there. All right. And there's wheels. He describes them as wheels. And he says that they're clear in their appearance. A wheel within a wheel. And so the best way I would say to describe it was a wheel at a right angle to a wheel. So there's a wheel this way, and a wheel that way. There's two wheels. Let's see what else he says about them. Verse 17, they went, and they went on their four sides, and they turned not when they went. As for their rings, they were so high, they were dreadful. And their rings were full of eyes round about them four. And so they're huge wheels. They're not little small wheels. Their wheels that go so high, they almost go out of sight. Huge, monstrous, clear wheels. And he describes them being full of eyes. The wheels have eyes. The wheels have eyes. And so there's these four creatures stretched out, touching each other with fire and lightning in between them. And now he notices these great, huge, monstrous wheels that go way up, way, way up higher than they do. And he says, as I look at them, they're clear, but they're full of eyes. I don't know what that means. You know what that means? Well, we start to ask ourselves, what is all this? That's a good question. We'll come back and think about it. But let's get it uh, all written down here. Verse 19, when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. When the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Whither their spirit was to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. So there's a spirit that drives these creatures, and that same spirit is driving these wheels. So they're driven by a force, by the Spirit, it says. Verse 20, and when those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. And those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them. For the Spirit of living creature was in the wheel. So if those four creatures stopped, the wheels stopped. If they went up towards heaven, the wheels went with them. If they ran, the wheels were right with them. So wherever they go, the wheels go with them. All right. So the wheels, they're up or down, wherever they go, the wheels are with them. Now, uh, some people say, well, that's a spaceship. <laughs> that's one of the books I got at home. So this is a spaceship, clearly. I don't think so. God never needed a spaceship to get anywhere. All right? Never needed it. Jesus went wherever he wanted to go. After the resurrection, he just whoosh, disappeared, showed up there. He doesn't need a spaceship. I got a book at home, The Spaceships of Ezekiel. Come on, guys. Here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. We tend to think that we should have the ability to know all about God, know whatever God's doing, whatever God does, we should be able to understand it all. 
That's what we tend to think. And there are people who will simply say, well, you know, if I can't explain it, it doesn't exist. The whole world depends on my mind and my ability to perceive it. And so they say, I've never seen God, so there is no God. You understand that kind of thinking? Right? My mind is the greatest mind of all times, and whatever I can't understand doesn't exist. Now, that kind of thinking just doesn't go with this kind of passage. And so people have tried to, for centuries, figure out what that is, and they say, well, it must be a spaceship. Got to be. Big wheels that burn. Looks like a spaceship. No, it doesn't at all. That's not at all what he's describing. I've never seen a spaceship that looked like that. Okay. So, question is, why does it look like that? Let's go on. Verse 22. And the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creatures was the color of a terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. Now, if you saw something like that, you'd be just like Ezekiel. You'd be going... <laughs> you wouldn't take your eyes off and say, eh, I wonder what's over here. You'd be staring at what is that? Look at that. And they're moving. Fire flashing out. Well, you'd be totally mesmerized by that view. And now he's watched it for a little bit and he suddenly looks up and realizes there's something better above them. Matter of fact, once he starts looking up there, he's not even looking at them anymore. Because what appears is that they came to show him what's up higher. So let's see what's up there. Verse 23. Under the firmament were their wings straight, one towards the other. Each one had two which covered this side, and everyone two which covered on that side their bodies. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of a host. When they stood, they let down their wings. So when they move, there's a, there's a huge noise. And he said, it's, like, it's more like speech than sound. It's more like speech than sound. And he said, I was thinking like a great big huge voice like God when their wings were moving. Uh, it's like a big army. He says the noise of a host, like a huge army moving. Uh, and he said, it's, it's, it seems like speech. And then he said, they stopped. They let down their wings. So, these things that have been zooming back and forth with lightning flashing out, they stop. Now we know there's something above them. Let's see what's up there. 26. Above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And so he says likeness because he's never seen anything like it. He appears to be some kind of throne. And it's sapphire, the color of sapphire. So we had the color of amber in the fire. And we got the color of sapphire above that, a great blue expanse. All right. And on the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man above upon it. And so sitting on the throne looks to have human form. But then here we go again. I saw the color of the amber as the appearance of fire round about within it, and from the appearance of his loins even upward, and the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as were the appearance of fire and the brightness round about it. And so he has fire going up and fire going down. He's this person that's sitting on the throne. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so is the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face. And so he sees the 
blue vast expanse and this clear wonderful throne and a person of fire sitting on the throne up there and he says well that was God and I fell on my face and it says I heard a voice of one that spake so he hears a voice he hears a voice talking to him by the way (laughs) so if God wants to talk to you he's got your attention now (laughs) he's really got your attention now and all of this magnificent display of creatures and fire and wheels and eyes and all sorts of things what do we say about it the purpose of it was to communicate to a human a guy sitting by the river on five o'clock in the afternoon so let's go back now and think about what these things mean is there some point that God is trying to get across with with Ezekiel why this magnificent sight now nobody's ever seen these sights before and nobody ever seen them since unless they weren't allowed to tell Paul said he went up to heaven wasn't allowed to tell what he saw Ezekiel explains these creatures. Now, we have what appears to be the same creatures appearing in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. Same vision. His train filled the temple. And above him were the seraphims. And they each had four wings. And they hovered over the throne and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. John the Revelator gives the same vision. And says, I saw up in the throne and I saw these cherubim uh, and they were uh, hovering over the throne saying the same things. So we don't know if they're exactly the same ones that Isaiah and John saw, uh, but we think they could be. Uh, maybe Ezekiel got a better look or maybe Ezekiel was given a better look than everybody else had. Uh, but more likely, there's a communication about it. He says it just movement was speech. And as soon as they put their wings down, I heard speech. So God's trying to talk to Ezekiel. Now, why does God want to talk to Ezekiel? Look at him. Look where he is and look at when he's there. That's very important, those first two verses. Where is he? He's been taken captive out of his home against his will and carried off to a land that's full of idols and every other thing under the sun. How's life going for you? You, you and I never experienced anything like that. Come to your home, we'll take you away and take you away in chains and lead you way off to a foreign country where you can't speak the language, where you have no home, you have nothing except for what they tell you to have and what they tell you to do. So you would say that was a pretty low spot in life, wouldn't you? You better, you better realize that that's about as low as you can get. Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the city of the great king, place where the temple is, They're doing everything under the sun, worshiping idols. Reg had set up a great big old idol right in the middle of the temple. You're saying, what's happening, Lord? It's lost. Back home is nothing. We're carried off captive. What has happened to the world? It's a mess. And so the time and place, and even the king Jehoiakim, that he gives us his name, is a guy who turned the kingdom over to Babylon. And so they just are in a terrible mess. And if you were sitting in a foreign land, torn from your home, never to return there, sitting by a river there, you would ask one question. What would it be? Where is God? Where is he? 
I've been dragged from my home. I'm a thousand miles away in this foreign place. I'm sitting by a river and I don't want to be there. I want to go home. But where's God at home? Jerusalem is crumbling, falling apart. The temple is a mess. So where's God? This world is falling apart. It's a good time to look at Ezekiel, isn't it? This world is falling apart, and where is God? And he says, hey, look, take a look. Let me show you. Let me show you who I am. Out of a fiery whirlwind comes these creatures. They are human-like, and God himself is human-like. And the best thing that ever happened to you and me was that we were created in the image of God. You understand that? If you weren't, you'd be just junk. But there was something about humans that was worth saving, is that they were created in the image of God. And the plan of God was to come down and take human form. And it wouldn't be incongruent with his own form. It was more like a hand fitting into a glove. And when Jesus comes down and is born in Bethlehem's manger, he can take a human form because he himself is human-like and the creatures that he has made is human-like. That is, they are intelligent. And so uh, the man represents intelligence. They got a face of a lion. Lion, the king of the beasts, courage and strength. Great courage. Lions aren't afraid of anything. They're not afraid of anything. Oxen of the tame beast is the most diligent. He's the hardest worker. Nothing works harder than the oxen. And what about the eagle? He's certainly free. Uh, he's the king of the bird kingdom. Right, so we have the king of the wild beasts, the lion, king of the tame beasts, the oxen, the king of that, the eagle, who has the best eyes. You can see from way, way up in the sky, right down into the water, and drop himself right down into it. Right? So we have these intelligent, hardworking, courageous, swift, clearful, clearly seeing creatures created by God, and they are run by a spirit, spirit of God. The spirit of God created these intelligent, powerful creatures. And if he's got work to do, he's got the hands of a man. The hands of a man are the best hands there are, right? You, they always say, oh, monkeys, come on. You see the monkey play the piano? Man's hands have got the best working hand, best ability of all creation is in the hand of a man. They got the hands of a man. They can move swiftly. They got the uh, straight feet like a calf. And so when God says, go, he says, they never turn left to right. See, when God tells you to go and me to go, we always kind of wander a little, don't we? We got off the track, didn't we? God said go, but we kind of went off sideways. These don't. God says go. There they go. And he says they don't turn. They don't turn. Why? Because God knows exactly what he wants them to do. And so God says go over there and zoom. They're there in a, in a second. And God says go over there. They don't even have to turn because it's a wheel within a wheel. They can go that way, or that way, or that way, or that way. It's a wheel within a wheel. A wheel at a right angle means they can go both ways without turning. So if God says go east, they're gone. God says go west, gone. North, 
They don't have to turn when they go. They always do exactly what God says. And so the wheels go all the way up past them up into the sky, up into heaven. The wheels, what do they represent? Real represents God's will. This is God's will. And God never makes any mistakes. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so they can go straight and go this way. And by the way, the wheels are full of eyes. God's will is the most intelligent thing that anybody can do. You do the will of God, then you're, you're, that's as high as you can get. If you're doing the will of God, it's the highest place you could be. Why? Because God's will is full of eyes. He sees everything. You and I don't see nothing. We can barely figure out what happened after it already happened. Just look at the eyes on the will of God and look at that parking lot down there. Six or seven months before we were evicted, God sent along somebody says, you're going to need a parking lot. The next day, he said, I'm going to change my mind. We thought it was going to be no parking lot. And he said, it needs to be bigger. How did he know? He didn't know, but the eyes on the wheel knew because they see everything. And it goes from heaven all the way touches down to earth. God knows everything there is to know. And so the wheels are the will of God and the divine providence, the moving of God in human affairs. And they can move anywhere they want. They move in perfect order. All right? So they can move swiftly. They have intelligence, strength, and courage. And they are all driven by the same spirit, which is the will of God. And what does God teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so in heaven, these creatures who do the will of God are able to move swiftly, intelligently, powerfully, courageously, seeing all there is to see because they are driven by the power of God. Now, back up. You sit down here on earth and you say, I'm a captive in Babylon. Jerusalem is crumbling. I brought here against my will, I will die in this place. And Ezekiel, they believe his brains were bashed out. They believe that they bashed his brains out with a club. All right? That's how they think he died. Uh, he's going to die there. And God's name is being tossed all over. Nebuchadnezzar looks like the king of the world. He's running a fabulous government. He will conquer the entire world. Everybody in the world will bow at his feet. He cannot be stopped. He goes on and on and on and on and on. And you say to yourself, where's God? And God says, I'm right here. I got my wheels on the ground. I seen it all. You think it's a mess? I got it, Ezekiel. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk to you. And I want you to understand what I say to you is what you really need to know. Matter of fact, the whole sense of what you're feeling as you see these wings with fire shooting out going by you and moving up and down as you see these wings, you think it's like speech. It's exactly what it is. God's trying to tell you something. God's trying to talk to you. God is always ever communicating to you at all times. He's always talking to you. He's always speaking to you. What's the problem? I don't hear him because you're not listening. Ezekiel said the hand came on me. I could feel a hand of God on me. I said, what's that feeling? I'm feeling. And all of a sudden, who are those things? 
Those are things that do what God says. Exactly what he says. Whenever he says it, no matter what it is, they go north, south, east, or west, anywhere. And they will appear over and over and over again because in the book of Revelation, they'll say there's an angel that controls the north wind and the south wind and the east wind and the west wind. Probably those guys because they're really intelligent. And they're very powerful. And they are the most diligent workers. All right. So we have communicating to Ezekiel, who's in a bad way, who's living in this terrible situation, torn from his home, where it looks like the world has all gone bad. And God comes down, puts his hand on him, says, let me show you something. <laughs> Take a look at that. Whoa. And he looks at those creatures who do the will of God no matter what. Doesn't matter whether Nebuchadnezzar's there or not. They're going to do the will of God. Doesn't matter whether the Antichrist is there or not. They will do the will of God. Read it in Revelation. And it doesn't matter who gets to be president in November. They will do the will of God. So for you and I, the communication is, don't worry about it. It can get pretty bad. It can get a lot worse than it is now. Look at what happened to Ezekiel. He says, I was a captive sitting by the river. When the king was over there captive too, it was a mess. And we thought it's hopelessly, the world is hopelessly lost. And God said to Ezekiel, listen to me. I'm talking to you. I'm going to show you these creatures who in the heavenly realm do the will of God. And I'm going to show you that there are wheels where the will of God starts in heaven and turns all the way down to the earth and goes back to heaven. And they're full of eyes and God sees it all. So, stop fighting about it. Stop worrying about it. God's got it. And he's trying to talk to us. And when things get bad around us, he's trying to communicate and talk to us. Trying to get through to us. And all this fascinating activity, can you imagine this whirlwind come, whoosh, and these creatures come out. And you can't even explain what they are. And they move and they go, whoosh. <laughs> And he, he lost sight of them is actually what he tells us. They couldn't keep my eye. I couldn't keep my eye because they never turn. They're over there. They're over here. You don't turn if you got a face that goes each way, right? You get that? You got a face that goes each way. You, you don't have to turn. You got intelligence one way, courage another way, diligence another way. And tremendous eyesight another way. You can go anyway. If you have those qualities. And they had those qualities given to them by the being who created them by God. And so God says, all right, Ezekiel, now you got a pretty good look at me. You saw me sitting on a throne up there. And the only words you could use to describe me would is fire from the waist down and fire from the waist up. The best words you could think of. And that amber color coming out of that fire. And then he said around the throne was an intensity of light so intense that it created a rainbow. That's a rainbow he's talking about. But you and I know a little bit about the colors of the electromagnetic spectrum. When light shines through something and bends, creates colors. So around the throne of God in the amber-colored fire, there's a perfect ring of red and yellow and blue and purple. What a sight. Now you got a good look at God, Ezekiel. How do you feel? I f fell down. <laughs> said it fell down on my face. Anybody who saw God said the same thing. 
John the Baptist says, I saw him and I dropped over like I was, or John the Revelator said, I saw him and I fell over like I was dead. Isaiah said, I saw God and I fell down and I wouldn't look because I had a dirty mouth. That I had a dirty mouth. I couldn't look at God. And Isaiah, one of those, these creatures, God said, take some of that fire and touch his lips. One of those creatures touched Isaiah's lips. He said, now you can talk for me. He wants you to talk. And so he wants to tell us what's going on. He wants to clarify it for us. But first we got to know who we're dealing with. We're not dealing with somebody who doesn't know what's going on, who can't handle it. God's not up there wringing his hands saying, what am I going to do with Los Angeles and Portland? He's not doing that at all. He's unimpressed by all of that. It doesn't affect the will of God. It's driving for full speed ahead. God's will, will gonna, is going to be done. So you're taking a man ripped from his home, thrown as a captive in a strange land where you can't even understand the language, never to return home again. And you're saying, hey, I want to get you ready to be my spokesman. I'm going to give you a little look. <laughs> what would you see, Ezekiel? I don't know what I saw. I can't explain it. I can't seem to explain it. And so there are people who say, well, that's all just imaginary. He just thought that up. Or God gave him a little picture trying to get through to him. Well, God was definitely trying to get through to him. We agree that. I don't agree that that's just imaginary. I think there are creatures like that. You couldn't describe them quite so well as he does. Of course, he's describing what you've never seen, I've never seen, he's never seen before. So he's bound to be limited. But if this was the only place in the Bible, but it's not, they show up other times. Isaiah and Micaiah sees spirits moving in the heavens. And so uh, there's the beginning of Ezekiel. It's pretty crazy. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. Isn't it? It's far out. And there's a whole lot of people who are call themselves scholarly. <laughs> call themselves scholarly who say that's just all imaginary. God was just trying to give them a little pep talk. Oh, I don't think it's imaginary. I think it's real. I can't explain it any more than he could. He was sitting there looking at it. He got the best look of any human ever got at these creatures. Nobody ever got to look like that. Now when we get to heaven, we're going to get a chance to see. And we are described in heaven as being among the church of the firstborn and an innumerable company of angels. That's heaven described for us. We're all going to be there together as a church, humans, redeemed by the blood of Christ, taken to heaven to be with him. That'll be fantastic. If that's all was there, I'd be thrilled. But these creatures are there. And he says, I'm going to let you see when you get there an innumerable company of angels. Tonight we just saw four. What else is up there? I get more and more bored with this earth as I think about that. Wow. What a tremendous experience to go to heaven. Makes me want to go. Quick. I got work to do, I guess, so I can't go just yet. But uh, when I do, I'm going to have the time of my life. <laughs> I want to see them myself. I want to say, what are those wings made out of? I want to talk to the eagle face. Huh? I want to look that lion in the eye. Huh? And I want to see them wheels, which is the power of God stretching from the highest heaven all the way down to this earth with perfect knowledge and sight into everything that goes on. So, 
There's the beginning of Ezekiel. Never heard nothing like that before. He's quite the fellow, this guy. He got to see that and describe it to us better than anybody else ever did. Maybe he got a better look. Because if you look at Daniel, where is he? Well, he lives in the king's house. Right? He's on top of the world. He didn't get to see that. The guy that got to see the most was the guy in the lowest, most miserable, rotten place. And later on, there'd be a guy in exile on the Isle of Patmos, put there by the government because he said too much about Jesus. His name was John. And he said, I was all alone on the Isle of Patmos, abandoned on an island. You'd think it got pretty low. And I had visions of God. He describes the same thing. So it seems that those people who are brought lower get to see more. So that should encourage you, right? You should look around, turn on the TV tonight and go, (laughs) (laughs) I know something you don't know. I know something you don't know. I see something you don't see. I know that the will of God is going on in this world and you can't stop it. You can't change it. You can say all you want to say. Those wheels are turning. And they go wherever they want in perfect order. There's no human going to interfere with that. I got to stop now. I'm out of time. We'll go on more next week, chapter 2. Thank you.